Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport.fnr. gis.sport.fnr. Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Polaris! It's an absolute peach! Here's driving! What a hit from Melina Rez! Wow! And Sam Kerr has a hat trick! Meet him all! 1 0! Maya Markovsky got the A-League women's talking with her goal celebration. One of the best penalties you're likely to see over the weekend. We also had a Matilda's uh, squad going into this uh, Crunch Asian Cup campaign confirmed. Two attacking players that we've been very impressed by this season making the final cut. We've got a FIF Pro Best eleven that raised a few eyebrows. A youngster joining us who's just made her Matilda's debut in a, in a moment in Briley Henry and commentator Teo Pellizzeri joining the show later as well. A huge show, a huge week in Australian women's football. Josh Parrish here with Pakua Frimpong. Pakua, how are you and how excited are you for the week to come? I'm pretty excited. It's good to always in new exciting things with football happening. So I'm always excited to see um, those things happen and you know Matilda's I'm expecting some wins soon and mm. that penalty was very nice from uh, Maya Markovsky that was very very exhilarating I was like that's the perfect type of penalty that I love to see were you ever a penalty taker you were a goalkeeper though. I was a goalkeeper um, and I wasn't a penalty taker um, because I would just buckle under that pressure <laughs> just not it's just not it for me personally but you know that's why you leave it to the professionals that's why you leave it to players with the confidence of Maya Markovsky to hit the top corners absolutely unbelievable yeah exactly it's uh you know she like she hit that with so much confidence I was a bit I was a little bit nervous I'm always nervous when players uh decide to go like up high which they should do but I'm always nervous it's just gonna go get skied way too high yeah I mean that's always the risk that's why it's so impressive when you hit the corner where the spiders live in that situation and that was a game that you know, it was going to be decided by one goal. It was very tight. That's the kind of season that Western Sydney Wanderers have had so far. So defensively strong. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but it was... Let's talk about, like, I actually want to take it a second. Celebration. What were we What were we feeling? Was it a strong, like, confident Cristiano Ronaldo, like, demo? Like, what were, what were we feeling about that um, celebration? I mean, it's a hard one to, to imitate. You know, that's why it's almost so fun to attempt. Yeah. Because you have to get the airtime on the jump and you have to get the timing with the arm placement and the landing. I I think she did a better job than Andros Townsend did earlier this season, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, that wasn't the greatest. I remember that. I w- remember watching that game and I was a bit like, what's going on here? I'm not a massive fan of that. So if I think you've got to commit 110% to that. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was a good effort. I thought it was a good effort for, good. from from Maya Markovsky and uh, her teammates certainly appreciated it as well. What else stood out to you this weekend in the A-League women's? Uh, just how comfortable Sydney were in demolishing Canberra. They just were doing that for absolute fun. Like the six goals, it just once they got that first one, it was just they just could not be stopped and I loved it. This was without two of their best attacking players who've been snapped up by the national team in Remy Seamson and Courtney Vine. I mean, Sydney FC, depth-wise, just on a different level to the rest of the competition this season. A hundred percent. They are. That's why they're my favourites to win the league. I think that uh, looking at that side, if they made a massive statement to the rest of the league, knowing that they they can have their best players out and they're just comfortably, you know, killing it. So... What are you looking forward to in the rest of the season? Obviously, it's a chance for new players to come in and impress with the national team call-ups that we've seen. Uh, but how do you think that will, will shape the rest of the, the campaign? Um, you know, I think it's going to be good. Any, any, anything, you know, anything new to the, the dub, I'm always about it. So, so I want to get you to uh, give your two cents on the international women's game because... I set, set, set up higher, set up guys. Because okay. I know where we're going. Come on, set it up. You okay. Know. So something got your heckles up today. We've been holding off uh, from this because I didn't want people who were just joining the stream to miss out on on Pakua's rant. This really, bothered really bothered so you. Much. It got your heckles Gosh, up. This, went, this I, was the announcement coinciding with the FIFA Best Awards. The FIFA Pro World 11, which is the players' union, the players themselves select the best 11 from the year. Very questionable formation on the men's side of things. There's sort of four cheap. attackers. I didn't understand. I didn't think I was a realised... Uh, three, three, four. Very innovative sort of Thiago yeah. Motta-style formation. But in the women's, there were some absolutely puzzling selections. You felt betrayed a, a lack of attention paid to this year and, and the form of those players. Tell, tell me about the it's tell me about the one. the form of this year it's the form of the last few years Josh Alex Morgan Kylie Lloyd should not have been in the team they shouldn't have come close to being in the team the likes of Sam Kerr Alexia Patelis were the finalists the top two and yet they didn't make the best 11 what I leaves me wondering is are these players watching it which players are voting because how can you have the the best three players not make it into the best 11 and to even show that I'm not being biased about it, if someone had told me Viv Miedemar didn't make the team, but Sam Kerr and Patelis made the team, I would have been like, oh, that's perfectly... I un- Like, I, I kind of... Make, this makes a little bit more sense. But Alex Morgan didn't do anything for me to remember. I reckon there was a cybersecurity issue. Someone hacked the system, changed it up. Anybody who saw that and was going to publish it should have gone, wait, these three... That doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. The math clearly wasn't mathing. I'm, that's, that, that was the fact. It just... <sighs> Sam Kerr had one of the best seasons of any footballer, men or women. Like, incredible mm. season. She was so dominant. How no Canadian player made it in the best 11 and they won the Olympics, but the Americans made it, it just shows that there's this level of, like, this loyalty to this American football. Like, they haven't... They, the American League is not the best league in the world. The best mm. players play in Europe. So those players should be represented in the FIFA Best 11. Or am I just incorrect in thinking that? Is it partially to do with potentially more professional players being able to vote, playing in the US? Uh, well, they clearly... I mean, they've got a big league, you know, bigger than 
any of the other competitions Josh, in terms of the number European, of players. They put European players in there. And the problem I have is Barcelona dominated the Champions League. They annihilated Chelsea in the final. And yet you're telling me that not a single Barcelona player could make that 11. So you clearly were competent and these players were competent enough to watch European football, but they just weren't going to watch the best team in Europe. How does that make sense? It doesn't make a shred of sense to me. I can only put it down to some sort of clerical error that the top players in the Ballon d'Or voting somehow didn't make it into the World Eleven. This is absolutely bizarre and it undercuts the the legitimacy of the award. It's the first time I've ever said journalists got it right, but the players all got it right. (laughs) I'll never say that again, but the players were wrong and it makes me look at them being like, are you even supporting women's football? Because if you were supporting women's football, you would comfortably be looking at these players and understanding they are the best in the world. They are dominating mm. week in and week out with their teams. Barcelona and Real Madrid just sold out the Camp Nou for a Champions League match. And you're telling me these these players aren't going to make the best 11? But people want, like, come on. I wonder what the survey response rate was. Does every player have to submit their answers or is something that came through in your email inbox? Maybe it went to your spam. You know, it was Thanks. a survey monkey link. No, you no, put no, it Josh. off and then you forgot about it. Cyber security. Yeah. Cyber security yeah. You reckon sure. it was just a clerical error. The 2017 team of the year somehow snuck in. We'll take a short break here. On the other side, we're going to be talking to one of the young stars of the A-League women's competition. She's received her first Matilda's call-up already. At just uh, tender teenage years, she's playing up front for the Western Sydney Wanderers and it's been their clearest route to goal so far this season. Briley Henry joining us on the other side of this break. Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Polias! It's an absolute peach! Is driving! What a hit from Melina Rez! Wow! And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick. Meet him up! Welcome back. Radio Dub here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish and Bakur Frimpong. And after a little bit of technical wrangling, we've managed to get her on the line. Briley Henry, welcome to FNR. Thank you for having me. Huge congratulations on the progress that you've made this season, not only uh, playing and starting pretty much every game for Western Sydney Wanderers in the A-League women's, but getting your first Matildas cap. Uh, how did that feel? How was that, uh, firstly, the moment of getting the, the call up, the moment you knew you were in the squad? Yeah, that was pretty surreal for me. Um, I actually found out um, one of my friends actually spoiled the news, I guess you could say. Um, through an email, she actually sent me a text saying congratulations and I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, and then I checked my phone and saw the email and my mum was in the room. She took my phone and ran downstairs to my dad. Um, so I think they were celebrating downstairs without me for a bit. <laughs> wait, um, I've got to ask, wait, wait, I've, I've got to stop for a second. How does that work? How do, do they not give you a call heads up or are we still using email? Like I thought this is a big announcement. You've got to do a phone call, surely. No, it actually, yeah, it's still still email. So it's sort of sit and wait after you sort of get the first lot of emails to say you're being looked at. It's sort of sit and wait and then wait for the final email to come out. 
I reckon I've got about 10,000 unread emails Honestly, in, my, as in well. my inbox. Yeah. So what, if it goes to, what if it goes to your spam? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like you've just, they've gone on the plane and you've forgotten that you're, you're in the Matilda squad. Like, what's happened? What happens there? Yeah. Absolutely not. I think it's this, yeah, it's being, looking through every single email you possibly can until you know that they've come out. No, <laughs> the I'm, stress. Not a, I'm not a fan of that. With Matildas, we need to elevate to phone calls. We need to have <laughs> drones coming in and, you know, doing some <laughs> fancy, like, you know, <laughs> unveiling, you know, something. Something like that. I'm not. No, I can't do the email. That's not. I'm not with that email. Yeah, situation. I think we need a little more pomp and circumstance exactly. around it. Uh, did the call up surprise you, Riley, or did you know that you were sort of in the frame? Um, it did. Like, there's often before things come out, there will be an extended list um, that comes out, but that could go from around like 20 to 50 players, even. So that's like still a lot of players on that list. Um, so, yeah, it was like I couldn't believe it. I think it took me – I've read the email a hundred times um, and then even being – once I got into camp, it was surreal for me being around girls that I've watched my whole life and looked up to, like being around them. I just, yeah, didn't feel real, didn't sink in for a while. What player was it most – like you were most starstruck by when you first like got into training that you were like, how is it that like I'm competing with you or like next <laughs> to you in training? Uh definitely have to say Sam Kerr um like she's the best footballer one of the best footballers in the world um so to be next to her and in training like I don't know I couldn't I think going in there I thought that they were completely different people because I just had in my head that they're you know like they're famous I've watched them on tv I didn't know how to speak to them um I sort of had to bring myself back down to earth and realize like they're just normal people you can have a normal conversation with them um, so yeah, I sort of freaked myself out a little bit when I first went in. See, yeah, I, like we 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 on Radio Dub here, we agree. Sam Kerr is one of the best players in the world, and some pe- um, some footballers today didn't think she was. But you know what? We in Australia, we know Sam Kerr is the is the goat. What elements of Sam Kerr's game do you kind of see in your game, or are you do you think you're like a really different player? Um. I think there's similarities. Like I like to, I like to learn off her a hundred percent. I love the way she gets off the shoulders of defenders. Um, never know, like they never sort of know where she is. Hence why she scores so many goals because she's always in goal scoring positions where the defenders don't seem to be marking her. So I guess that's something that I try to do in my game. Um, try and just put myself in goal scoring positions or get off the shoulder of defenders so um, they don't know where I am and put myself in the best position possible to score a goal. Well, when people watch you play for the first time, Riley, the thing that stands out immediately is that is that searing pace. Is that is that the the challenge for you learning how how to best use that to your advantage? Yeah, 100%. Um I think um that's definitely something that I could probably use to my advantage a lot more um and something that I'm growing into and learning to use a lot more in my game. Yeah. So with that Matilda's camp, you said you had to bring yourself back down to earth and, uh, you know, stop thinking these players as, as deities and normal people. Uh, is there anyone that sort of put their arm around you, so to speak, in the, in the camp and, and sort of helped you along in your, in your first national team experience who gave you a few sage words of advice? Um, well, I'd have to say that all of the girls were pretty welcoming and, you know, sort of will have that conversation with you that, sort of make you realise that they are just normal people. Um, but I think the the younger ones who are already in there, so Kyra, Kyra Cooney-Cross, she was – I known her before that, so 
and she'd been in there a few times before that as well going to the Olympics so I think having her there and her saying like you know just be confident and be yourself um I think that helped me a lot um yeah with you, you know, playing a lot more games for Western uh, Sydney this season, you guys haven't maybe necessarily had the start of the season the year after. What do you go? What do you think that uh, you guys need to change to get you to where you want to go for the rest of the season? Um, yeah, we haven't had the the best start to well, not what we would have liked to start the season. Though team wants to start off drawing and, and losing a couple games, but there definitely has been some good passages of play that we can take and learn from, which I think we just need to do more consistently, um, you know, or I think if you look at a couple of our most recent games, we started to really build or um, get into the game maybe just a bit too late um, and then being more clinical in front of goal um, myself as well. Um, and as a team, you know, we've had we've had chances in games that we probably could have come away with the three points and just haven't had just been clinical enough and haven't finished them. So I think just being clinical and going straight from – playing our game straight from the start I think like there's still eight games left in the season so finals is definitely still on the horizon and we can definitely still do it the thing that stands out to me as a positive for Western Sydney this season though is that you're always competitive in games there are very few games where you know you're out of touching distance with your opponents the very narrow score lines you know on a knife's edge so much of the time is that does that come from the the defensive unit because you know you've got a goalkeeper and a center back pairing that instills a lot of confidence it seems yeah, 100%. Um, like you said, I think if you watch back on any of our games, yes, we haven't got the results that we would want, but none of them have been sort of the teams have been able to just throw in the towel or it's just been sort of a walkover. We've definitely put up a fight and there haven't been massive score lines either. So we're definitely competitive in every team that we play. And yeah, our defence has been resolute. Um, they've really like the performances that we've had from our defensive and our goalkeeper and our opening games have been, yeah, amazing. So defensively, we're being resolute. I think it's just we've got to be clinical and finish our chances in games to come. Looking at your games so far, what do you think personally for you has been your best game of the season? And more so, what do you think has been the best game for the, t- the team? Um, I think we've had... Uh, patches of of games that we've played really good football um probably I think what's let us down a little bit is that not over the 90 minutes like I said but I think Brisbane Raw um we put up a good fight there and probably the second Sydney FC game um keeping that to a nil or draw that was really good for us I think we put played some really good football there um and for myself uh I think you know, that last Brisbane Raw game, I had a couple of chances on goal, um, which I think I just I need to be more clinical. I know that for myself. So I think further games ahead, just having more chances on goal, having more. I think if we have more clear opportunities, um, we'll definitely put some in the net. Talking of your uh, your national team aspirations and, and chances uh, going forward, what do you think you personally need to add to your game to get back in Matilda squads and back in the mix? Because it seems like the door is, is wide open at the moment for new players to make a breakthrough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's definitely looking at a lot more. Like over the past year, we've seen so many people debut, so many young players debut. Um, so I think for myself personally, I just want to, you know, my job when every time I step into that pitch is to score a goal and that's the one thing I'm thinking about and um, that's probably not I haven't done enough of this season 
Um, so, you know, scoring, being more ruthless in front of goal and just going forward to show what I can do in front of goal and putting the ball in the back of the net, which is what I want to do is something that, you know, I'm really focusing on games to come and for the rest of the year. I want to take it back to your first ever goal in the dub. What was that feeling like and like were you expecting a goal that game? Like were you like pre-game, you're like, I'm going to score today, I'm going to score today or was it just like a just a moment? Um, gosh, <laughs> I think, I think, I think when, well, every time I go out into the pitch, you know, I'm, I'm obviously going to, I'm thinking to score. I think when I scored those goals, I think when I, when you score, I think when any striker can relate and say that when you score the best goals, it's when you're not thinking about it. Um, I think if I have that split second to think about it before, it's when you overthink and, you know, shank it sideways and then you go into your head and you go god like why did I do that um so I think moments before that goal it's just not thinking it's just doing what naturally comes to you um and then just gets the ball rolling um yeah I think that always helps I think sometimes those instinctive moments when you're not in your own head can be the best ones sometimes it is good when you know you do something that even you're not expecting yeah. I, I the, the classic example of that was on the weekend when uh one of the young Wellington players scored a goal. I think she looked slightly too surprised in the celebration. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's uh, when when you start looking that surprised, it looks a little bit too accidental. Because <laughs> so yeah, when you when you shock yourself. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of celebrations, Maya Markowski had a fantastic celebration on the weekend. Now I want to know, Briley, do you have a celebration in your back pocket that you're waiting to pull out when you have an exceptional goal, or are you just more of a feel the moment kind of celebration? <laughs> Um, I've definitely had a, had a few, a few people say to me celebrations that they would like me to do, but I think I often, after, after I score a goal, I often forget and just <laughs> sort of will run to the first person near me or just celebrate like that. I think like in the last game where I scored the penalty actually took me a moment to realize that the ball actually went in the back of the net. So I think actually figuring it out before before the game or when I score a goal, actually thinking about doing a celebration would be a start. <laughs> My favourite celebrations when people just like run around, like when defenders score and they run around as if this is the greatest moment. I This is the moment <laughs> that I have become the greatest footballer. I can defend, I can score goals. I, th- I love it. I love I love a yeah. defender celebration. It's my favourite. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the the look of uh, surprise and joy. Is also, yeah. it's pretty special. Uh, you mentioned that Sam Kerr is your hero. You know, she pulls out the backflip. Uh, is that in your locker, or is that just too big an injury risk to attempt? <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I wish I could say that I could do that, but I think I'd end up probably never playing soccer again if I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, you're only 18, and like to have a Matilda start, that's actually quite it's quite incredible. What is it like at school? Like, are you still at school, or have you finished? Like, are you what are you like balancing? Is playing being a professional footballer as well? Yeah, so I finished school um, two years ago now. Uh, I'm doing. I just finished my first year of uni. I did. I was doing a health and exercise science, um, and then I'll be going into my second year of studying this year. Yeah, see, no, when I hear like people talk about uni, because I'm still in uni, I'm feeling stressed. <laughs> Thinking about uni by itself, I'm just like, no, thank you. Let's put the book away, laptop away. But to be a professional <laughs> footballer, and then you've got to go to training and then, then go to uni. No, I'm good, thanks. Put that away. <laughs> How do you balance those competing commitments? Because we know that, you know, the dub isn't full-time professional for everybody. Yeah, um, I think time management, um, you know, at the start of the week, planning out, 
when I have things because I'm definitely a forgetful person. If I don't have it set out, then I'll just miss classes and miss tests and and everything's like that. It will just be a shambles if I don't have it set out. So I think just having things set. Um, I actually did full time this year, which probably wasn't the best decision. Oh, no. I didn't See, really. Briley, Briley, come yeah. on. That was that was the mistake there. Come on. Yeah. Stressful. Yeah. I just I can Working I can right sense now. the stress right there. It was just anxiety was not okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a big mistake there. So tell us about your, your football upbringing. Um, you, you grew up in, in Sydney's West, so it must be pretty special to play for the Wanderers. Yeah, amazing. Like, I think that's the first football club that I knew growing up. Um, the My mum used to always get free tickets to the game because of her work. So that was the team that we'd always go watch just because it was so close. Um, so it's in my backyard to be able to put that on and have family and friends that are so close to be able to come watch. It's just like, it's an absolute honor to be able to wear that Jersey and play for them. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Can't really put that into words. We've seen some pretty fiercely contested, uh, Sydney derbies, uh, this season, one particular unorthodox challenge, uh, drew a lot of attention to that game, but it does it mean a little bit more when you've got players like yourself in the team who are, who are Western suburbs kids. Uh, I definitely think so. I think putting on that, that Jersey, um, you know what, how much it means to wear that and to represent hometown. I think it just puts that extra passion and, and love and going to the game just means so much more to you. So I think, yeah, it definitely helps, you know, bring that fight and definitely Sydney Derbys, that's always a massive game. So it's, you know, um, Sydney against Sydney from the same team. So proving who's the best. I think, yeah, when you're from, from the area and you're representing your home club in front of friends and family, it definitely means a lot more. And I'm noting here from your uh, your background uh, research you've done, and uh, you're also a keen futsal player, or you were uh, growing up. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I played futsal for a couple of years before transferring over when W League started. Yeah, we've already uh, interviewed a couple of players this season who cite their futsal experiences yeah. important, particularly uh, Rihanna Politina from from Melbourne City. Uh, how is football a uh, futsal important in in your development as a player? Yeah, I think so. Growing up, um, before I played futsal, you probably I probably just used to use my speed when I was younger and just kick the ball and chase it. Um, I think when you're younger, you can sort of get away with that. But I think futsal, futsal sort of helped me with that close ball control. Um, you know, you don't really have in your decision making. You don't have the time in that small sided game to take long in the decision or have a bad touch because if you do, you're going to be punished for it. So I think technique-wise and close ball control and making, that definitely made me a lot better and a lot faster from my years of playing futsal into into my football game now. See, this is why I never could have been a professional football because I, I used to, I, I had some speed, Josh. Before my knees weren't done and my ankles were done, I had some speed. And, I, like, once they gave out, I said, coach, put me on the bench. I'm out. I'm finished. It's over. Let the professionals play. Riley, before we let you go, we always love to ask um, every player that comes on, we like to ask the, you know, the smarter ones about women's football, some players they should be looking out for in the dub. They can be from Western or it can be from another club that fans or, or somebody who's like getting into the, the dub should be looking out for. In terms of another a player coming yeah, up. Yeah, another player you? coming yeah, up. Yeah, players or? coming through because we're trying to educate here. We're trying to increase the, the knowledge base of, a, of Australian women's football. Uh, we had a, a great shout last week from uh, Jessica Nash who picked out Hannah Lowry and went on to score exactly. <laughs> the very weekend. So uh, what, what's your tip for uh, for a promising youngster to watch other than yourself, of course? <laughs> 
Um, I'm definitely going to have to go with one from my team, uh, Alexia Apos. Don't quote me on how to say her last <laughs> name. Um, it's, I think it's Apostolakis. Um, she's only 15 and she's actually started the last two games for us. She's been playing at fullback. And if anyone watched her play when we played against Newcastle and then against Brisbane, she's extremely composed on the ball, technically very good. Um, and, you know, she came up in those games against some big players like Emily Van Egmond and Katrina Gari. And I think she actually beat them a couple of times. So she's definitely, she's very smart on the ball and technically just really good. So to be only 15 and starting and doing what she's doing, she's definitely one to look out for. So this is what the one thing I love about the dub is that players come in really young and then they they be in the Matilda squad for so long you'd be like I swear they are like they they're like they're almost finishing their careers but they're you they you look at their Wikipedia page let's say twenty three and you're like wait haven't you got a hundred caps or something already like how does this happen? Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's fantastic. Um, Briley, thank you for being on the show and hopefully Weston can pick up a few more wins and you can score a few more goals. I want to see. A, a fantastic celebration so we can have like some video clip and be like Riley Henry that that uh that celebration radio dub inspired that's what I want <laughs> if you if you give me some ideas maybe I can do we'll, we'll find it and then we'll send it to you that's what's gonna happen all right we'll do some brainstorming right. in the next segment and uh, we'll ask the audience <laughs> as well what should be Riley Henry's signature celebration exactly. I think it's helped Sam Kerr yeah with you know that she's got the trademark exactly. so you know uh, that can be a big boost to your exactly. career and uh, and a great shout for a youngster to watch Alexia Postolakis who's uh I note already making headlines in the Greek Herald for her performances. So it uh, can't be long before she breaks onto, exactly. into the mainstream news as well. Briley Henry, thank you so much uh, for persisting with the technical difficulties and uh, for joining us here on Radio Dub. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Briley Henry, Matilda. A uh, promising player for Western Sydney this season who's getting regular minutes up front. That's a hard position in the team to, to hold down a spot as a young player, centre forward. She's not playing off the wing. She's not getting shifted out of position to accommodate her because she's a teenager. She's the number nine. See, my thing is defence wins championships and if they can continue to build with their defensive, the tide will turn eventually and they will score more mm. goals and they will be like they'd be much more of a bigger threat to some of the like the cities potentially as well yeah i think they're building from the back um you know we know it's not a long season in the dub so you don't have too much time to get it right Uh, but they've got the center back combination they've got a good experienced goalkeeper in sarah willisey who uh, i think projects confidence um you know some of the goalkeeping in the dub this season has been a bit inconsistent we've seen some great saves and some big mistakes as well and willisey yeah, Willisey is the kind of keeper that uh, is pretty reliable. I hope I haven't jinxed it, but <laughs> Josh, <laughs> yeah, knock, they're going to come, come after us if you do this. <laughs> come on. So that's a good base to build from. And uh, if they can get that midfield to click and uh, serve a bit more service to Briley up front, I'm sure they'll be exactly. climbing the table in no time. She was robbed of a goal on the weekend, actually. It was the balls coming for her. And then uh, I believe it was Zimmerman just came in and it was Briley was going to score. I, Last ditch tackle. It's quite a good tackle. One of the other fastest players in the league. Do you know who was commentating that game? That was Teo Pelletieri. Oh, is he? Do we have him on next? That was. He's he's coming up. He's coming coming up. up. Teo Pelletieri on the other side of this break here on Radio Dub. Pick it. She lays it off. Teresa Polaris. Sam Kerr has a hat 
Tell you what, it's uh, it's not hard to win Pakura over. It's not hard to uh, to get on this show. All it requires is a little bit of flattery. Say a few nice things about her on Twitter, and she invites you on the program. How easy is that? I'm a narcissistic person. What can I say, Josh? Narcissism runs deep. No, we've got a primo guest on the on the line. Teo Pelitzeri, Paramount Plus and Channel Ten commentator, joining us now. Teo, welcome to Radio Dub. And the funny thing is, Pakua doesn't even know that I actually went to Ghana for the Africa Cup of Nations in 2008. I didn't know I this. A, I'm very excited yeah, about I was, this. I was there the night that uh, Junior Agogo scored to knock out Nigeria and there were parties in the streets and hey, look, the Onenajan Stadium was going off and they all had the little flamethrowers hand Let me tell amazing. you, yeah. Ghana party time. That's where it's at, guys. I don't. I just. I'm just. I don't want to hype Ghana up too much, but I'm just saying when football's on in Ghana and Ghana, come on, please, all of you, book your trips. COVID over. You're all going to Ghana. Good times. If only they had a good football team to celebrate. Josh, I've told you. I told you guys we don't speak about Afcon until Ghana makes the next round. It's not happening. I don't want to speak. Let's talk about women's football. The more important stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, Teo, Pakua's been raging against the uh, FIFA Pro 11. Uh, is this something that gets your heckles up when uh, it seems to have no bearing on what's actually happened in in women's football in the year? Not really, because what other players' player awards in any sport are held in higher esteem than ones determined by either umpires, referees or media? I don't think there are many, if any. So, uh, no, look, I I was disappointed but not surprised. I think that you can scrutinise each individual voter as much as you want. But, I mean, ultimately... I think they shot their own credibility in the foot. The Ballon d'Or gave them a total freebie to kind of take the mantle as the better set of awards, and then they didn't put their top three players of the year, or as Pakua said, any of the gold medal team in the uh, in the best eleven. However, I still think that Sweden were the gold medalists. I, I still am surprised mm. every time I remember. Oh yeah, Canada won. Um, it was. I mean, even more of a Bradbury than actual <laughs> Bradbury that gold medal. I still think Sweden won that tournament. Uh, Sweden are definitely, like to me, the most consistent football team, um, women's football team at the moment, with the Netherlands seemingly not knowing how to win. And like, but Canada, I we have to. I think we have to reward them though. If they're gonna show up when it matters and they're gonna beat the best team in the world, I think surely one of their players has to at least get in and you know be praised. I think it maybe reflects um, just how underwhelming they were in not just winning that final, mm. but winning that entire tournament. That people may have—I mean, let's be honest—this is determined by NRI and, and who people think of. And you know, it's almost a surprise that Marta um, didn't win everything because oh. she she seems to be the player that everyone defaults to. And even five years after she's retired, she's probably going to keep winning and keep getting votes. What well, for me, the most controversial one personally was the Alex Morgan selection because. I'm sorry, but I didn't realise Alex Morgan had a better season than Sam Kerr. Did Sam Kerr just – did it not register in some countries or – Didn't Alex Morgan score like two goals this year or something? Like one of them was a penalty? I don't want to disrespect people who have like done a lot for women's football, but it's a season award. Like she did nothing compared to Sam Kerr mm. and clearly we need to be streaming football, women's football matches in different countries. Well, clearly uh, 
you know, she uh, persists in the memory. She's one person that she's very, very famous. And when you see her name, you go, oh, yeah, Alex Morgan, that'll do. Uh, Teo, let's let's narrow our focus to Australia now because we've got an Asian Cup campaign coming up. Uh, the two train-on players who made the squad were two of the players who've really excelled this season as uh, youngsters in the dub in Courtney Vine and in particular Holly McNamara, who's the clearest definition of a bolter. She is bolted onto the scene quite literally and got a place in the final squad. That's got to be encouraging for uh, other players trying to make an impression. Yeah, it does, not just for the remainder of this season with potentially uh, this mooted Algarve Cup that Matilda's going to be attending and competing in, but also obviously next A-League women's season, which I call me naive, but I hope might be extended in terms of its length because it's the final a-League women's season that we'll have before the Women's World Cup. So I, I think if you were ever going to do it, the incentive is right there, not just in terms of bringing in Western and potentially Central Coast, but in terms of having a full home and away as well. If you're going to stick your neck out, that's the year to do it. And then you can't unring the bell afterwards. It's kind of like the near decade-long battle to get every game streamed that once you actually give it to people, you can't then go and take it away. So I'm hoping that uh, that can have a bit of a domino effect. But as far as the two players picked, I don't think it was a surprise, to be honest. I mean, they, they picked the two hottest boots in terms of how those players will be used throughout the tournament. If things go as we expect, we might end up playing Thailand or India in a semi-final rather than one of the other big three. And this expanded tournament with three groups now and no North Korea on the scene means that it really does almost feel as though it's friendlies and fully competitive games intertwined between each other because everyone's expecting us to walk the group stage. And if, if anything, it's it's almost going to be a little bit difficult to get people's feet on the ground if we do go and put double figures past Indonesia in game one because that'll be in prime time and that's going to have everyone feeling as though the Matildas are, are ready to walk the rest of the competition. For me, Terry, I was I think they he Tony Staffson picked the two best players of the four he had remaining, but I was a little bit surprised that he didn't take a defender just because sometimes the defensive fragility of the Matildas at times is quite scary when they do get pressed quite high. It's as if they, because they they don't have a, a very good midfield that's perfectly constructed, they seem to leak goals at times. Yeah, and I was looking at the squads. I see that uh, Thailand did not pick Kanjana Sungnuen in their final squad, which is a shame, even though she is 35 now. She was always the audit. I remember we used to send the young Matildas to the AFC uh, competition. So our young Matildas would play against the senior national teams of all the Southeast Asian sides. And that was basically the testing ground because Kanjana would hit top speed and our young Matildas couldn't keep up, whether it was Grace Maher or Ellie Carpenter or whoever. These players coming through would always get the audit. And I I was thinking in the group stage, that might be the, the best testing ground for some of the less experienced defenders to go up against someone who has scored Thailand's only goal in the World Cup and is not world-class, but is still very much above average and kind of a player who exposes weakness but also identifies weakness. And unfortunately, she's not going to be there to do that. So I'm hoping that with regards to the defence, I think the time for talking about who we've picked is over because the decisions have been made. Through the first month of the season, Uh, Whether it was on TNC Football or on my own social media, I was pretty vocal about who I thought was playing well. Uh, I even jumped off the fence and started talking about who wasn't playing well, which is a bit of a rarity for me. Uh, But the the thing is, they've got to live and die by the squad they've got now. 
And I think that we can we can make our assessments game to game and at the end of the tournament. And if they win the tournament, then even if the defence looks shaky at times, you can't really argue with the results. Is a win what is the minimum for the Matildas or will they be okay if they just make the finals or get out in the semis? Well, I think if we make the final and we lose to Japan on penalties, then we will have learned nothing from how we were eliminated from the 2016 Olympics. Uh, we will have learned nothing from losing the 2018 final and we will have learned nothing from being eliminated from the 2019 World Cup. So, I mean, there's only one country where they build statues for losers and that's in France. Um, so, <laughs> Shots fired, Taylor. We love I, it. <laughs> well, you know, if anyone ever goes to Nice and visits the statue of Vercingetorix, they'll know I'm telling the truth. But <laughs> I, I think that... <laughs> I'm trying to think of the circumstances under which we can not win this tournament and not have it be considered a major issue. And, and I think, really, Japan would have to... Playing us off the park even would, would kind of be almost a phoenix moment in that it would give us a reason to go back to the drawing board a bit. So kind of an agonising close loss where everyone thinks we're unlucky or we get sawn off by a refereeing decision. That might be counterproductive because it might sell the illusion that we're closer to, to glory than we really are. So I think it would just be a whole lot easier if we won the whole thing. Now that would be nice. It would be very nice, Josh. I mean, the squad balance concerns me. I know you've, you know, they've got the squad in now, but only four midfielders named five if you include Mary Fowler. And there's a lot of forwards vying for those those three spots in presumably the 4-3-3 or 3-4-3 that's uh, uh, going to take shape. So it worries me slightly that we've uh, underserved the, the centre of the park yet again. Yeah, I, and I think anyone who saw the pass that Taylor Ray played for Sydney FC's fifth goal, the one for Princess Abini at the weekend, which was not just a defence splitting pass, but a midfield and defence splitting mm. pass because she played it from inside the defensive third. Uh, anyone who saw that will know that Taylor Ray is going to be a Matilda sooner rather than later, and only COVID has, has stopped her getting called up this time. And I'm looking at it this way, Josh. I actually think Dylan Holmes and Alex Chidiak and these fringy sort of players, not that Chidiak should be on the fringe, she should be in the starting 11, but the, these players that are currently finding themselves on the fringe are perhaps better served because... They play in one of, uh, and I say this uh, not tongue-in-cheek at all, one of the best broadcast and sort of amplified domestic leagues in the world. And if you do something good in the A-League women's, people find out about it, people see it, people talk about it. And I think that going to the camp and sitting on the bench through the tournament and maybe getting a couple of minutes as a sub, I'm not sure that serves their purpose. I think it serves it far better for them to play full 90s and whether it's Holmes or Chidiak or Taylor Ray or someone else stepping up, I, you know, I, yes, the midfield looks thin at this particular tournament, but I don't think it'll be thin by the time the World Cup rolls around. Is I think the big question we have is who is going to fill this number six position? Because I think it's the biggest, it's the position that the Matildas cry out for the most. Is Chidiak the answer for that, or is Ray like who is who is the ultimate number six that is going to be effective? Is going to be good enough by the time the Olympics, um, not the Olympics, sorry, the World Cup comes around? Look, I think Claire Wheeler's the one who has the most to gain of the players picked that are actually at the tournament. I mean, she is. Uh, certainly delighted us a bit uh, with what she was able to do in the friendlies. Her trajectory has been great because it's almost a bit Brett Emerton-esque. I know a different position to Brett Emerton, but Brett Emerton was this hot young talent in the NSL and was being mooted to be going to Europe as a teenager. And he stayed and he played a couple of extra seasons at, I think, Sydney Olympic. 
And then he went to Feyenoord and he had a decade-long career. He never came home. He, you know, he didn't burn out and come back in his middle, late 20s in the peak years of his career because he put in the extra the extra games in the domestic league and he was 100% ready to take that next step, if not overqualified, take that next step by the time he did. And I think Claire Wheeler fits into the same boat. She clocked up the game. She clocked up the minutes at Newcastle, then at Sydney. She went from being a player breaking into the starting 11 at Newcastle to being a regular. Then she was a regular at Sydney. Then she was a standout and above average. And now I think she might do the same thing with the Matildas. So she's had a very steady trajectory. And for the Matildas who normally identify talent super young, integrate them into the Matildas super young and cap them super young, it's actually really nice to see someone who's had a different path potentially to success on this road. This tournament will, I'm sure, Football Australia is hoping, be a moment for uh, Matilda's players to make a name for themselves, to cement themselves as star core members of the team heading into the World Cup from, I suppose, a marketing perspective. And Mary Fowler, chief among those, do we yet know what her best position is? Because she's got all the tools. She's She's, got all the tools. She's a number 10. We think she's a number 10 here on this program. Are you in accordance with that, Taya? Can I say that I don't know yet either? Because I, I'm still none the wiser as to whether we, you know, is Matilda, sorry, I did it. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> yeah. Is Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara? Yes. Is Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara? Shout out to Matilda if she's listening. Is Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara going to come in and immediately market correct Hayley Razzo? Uh, is. Uh, is she immediately going to be uh, ahead of Caitlin Ford uh, in the pecking order if we're playing Caitlin Ford as a winger? Uh, these are these are the things that we're going to potentially discover at this very tournament. Is Courtney Vine going to come in and look undroppable? And, and it's going to cause us to shake up how our forward line operates and who Mary Fowler uh, can combine with the best and play off the best is probably going to be a factor in that because I'm in agreement that yeah, while Fowler doesn't convince everyone, she convinces me. And so I suspect she's going to be an undroppable piece almost to the level of Sam Kerr. So I suspect it's all about finding the right combination. And I don't think it's so much about what position Fowler is in. It's about who are the complementary players that allow her to pull the strings. Everyone's talking about the Matildas and how this shapes for the World Cup and so forth have almost not mentioned our opponents but the Philippines, there's going to be some headlines, there's going to be some tension, there are going to be some stories. I mean, the Matildas clearly have to win this game and win this game comfortably to avoid, you know, the stage narrative returning uh, from, you know, the attic that it's currently locked in. Uh, Teo, do you think this game really means much beyond the sort of the symbolic? You know what? Unfortunately, after the Michael Caine tweet on Sunday... Yeah, I, I think it does because below the surface, there's just a, a latent toxicity uh, lurking about the stage narrative, even though it's going to be three three years to the day on the 31st, not just that, the entire anti-military era and now time with Tony Gustafsson as well. Uh, and here's the thing. I, I think that whether it's inside the Matildas or, you know, inside people who know and watch and like women's football, or people that don't and just want to throw mud or bricks from the outside, Stadge is relevant to all three layers uh, for different reasons, admittedly, and the bad actors are the ones throwing the mud and the bricks and they're the ones who will have a field day if we don't beat the Philippines. But uh, if we don't win this tournament, we're still going to hear his name thrown around 
And I would just like us to, to draw a line because as someone who has never publicly stated their position and, and doesn't intend to on how the matter was handled, uh, mainly because, you know, I have good footballing relationships on both sides of the divide and therefore don't want to, you know, mm. compromise myself or them. Um, it, I think that catharsis and moving on is is incredibly difficult to find. And, you know, it, I'm waffling because I don't have, for once, a decisive <laughs> or coherent point to make on this, Josh, other than I think we will win. And I think the Philippines are a very good chance of emerging from our group and potentially qualifying for the World Cup, which would be great for that country, uh, given that they've never made it before. Yeah, I mean, it's that issue that no one really wants to talk about if they're actually a fan of the A-League women's or a fan of the Matildas, and it's something that everybody wants to bring up if they're sort of, you know, uh, occasional sideline spectators and and critics. Everyone's a critic. I want to bring up this, the Michael Caine tweet that came up on the weekend. I know, for me... It was a very pointed attack, very unnecessary attack in my opinion. And Teo, you were one of the very loud voices, you know, to criticise that tweet. How does tweets like that and comments like that affect the way women's football moves in Australia? It's not just women's football. It's it's the perception of women in general and women's sport. Do, do any AFL journalists say, I'm leaving this AFLW game at halftime because they couldn't beat a team of under-16 boys? No because they actually have a bit of respect for their sport and respect that the AFLW isn't just a sporting competition. It's a social movement that is changing the way that people perceive what mm. women and girls can do. And I think I think football, because of the league having gone a bit longer and because we have the Matildas as the flagship product rather than our domestic league, uh, the A-League women's has lost a little bit of what the AFLW has found or what, say, the big bash for women has found. And let's not forget that one game a week in the A-League women's is on free-to-air television and uh, I think, what, every game of AFLW? I mean, Hawthorne aren't in it, so I don't follow it, sorry. Uh, when, when, the Hawks, when the Hawks come in next year, though, I probably will be following it quite closely. But um, I, I just, you know, it's so unnecessary. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't see the need to go over old ground and answer the points about whether or not women's teams can beat boys' teams. One of the first games I ever broadcast back in 2010 was about victory getting beaten 3-1 by a boys' team in a, in a pre-season friendly. I was there to help train some broadcasters that were going to be joining me on air. Did anyone care about the result? No. I mean, does anyone take it as some sort of commentary on the standard of women's football? No. And, and the fact that people do is just so disingenuous. And so, you know, no one has the game's best interests at heart if that's what you're focusing on. And that's all I have to say on the matter. Yeah. I won't ask you to comment on this part, Taylor, but I did want to say that it disappoints me to see uh, Kane put this tweet out because I think it undercuts uh, his work and his opportunity to be given the chance to tell a very important story that, you know, at least Devana put a lot of trust in him Absolutely. to tell that particular story and to try and get a conversation moving in the right direction uh, on some, you know, historical issues in the women's game. And to put a tweet out like that, I think Devana was painfully aware of the fact that it undercut, you know, what she was trying to say. Um, so, you know, it was very, very disappointing. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I don't think 
Uh, anyone will look to to Michael Caine for his women's no. football opinions again, I but certainly won't uh, be. you know it's it does uh, leave a sour taste for sure. Do you know who is one of the voices of the A League women's? Is that is Taro who we are speaking to now? Taro, I know you are commentating some of the games for the Asian Cup. Which games are you doing for as as of right now? Uh, well, just the one as of right now. Very excited to say that uh, Matilda's Thailand, which will be a one AM kick on Friday the twenty eighth of January. Our, th- our third group game, so be there or be square. I mean, be there or be square for the other two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we already a double, definitely be listening. Of yeah, obviously, this is appointment viewing, and I think it's on the main channel as well. Too. So not, not, not bad, wow. not bad work. Uh, we should talk about the league, though, and uh, where all of these international call-ups leaves the title race because it didn't seem to affect Sydney FC uh, one bit on the weekend. No, and I think we'll learn a lot more about them against Melbourne City, but we... We, we won't learn everything because, again, apologies, I'm actually uh, broadcasting from the runway at Kingston Smith here with the planes going over. But um, uh, we won't learn everything because Holly McNamara won't be playing for Melbourne for Melbourne City. And Jada Wyman is about to equal Lydia Williams' record clean sheet streak of seven if she can keep Melbourne City out in this particular game. And I don't think in an attacking sense City were as dynamic or as dangerous. And you know, people were saying, oh, uncharacteristically quiet game for Hannah Wilkinson. Well, no, not really. I mean, she was going up against two quality defenders. Kayla Sharples looks like she's going to potentially elevate Adelaide into the top four. And the actual Matilda McNamara is a player I rate very highly as well. But I was totally, I actually, uh, Adelaide United asked me to help out on their, their match preview with some written content. And I, I was absolutely anticipating that Wilkinson, without the fear factor of McNamara, they're tearing down the wing and, and providing her with service, would look far more limited and, and far more isolated up top. And I think that Sydney FC and their very intelligent defence, the way that they utilise Nat Tobin, the way that she can cover for either of the fullbacks when they venture forward, the way that Charlotte McLean is perhaps the most underrated player in the A-League women's at the moment. I think they'll have a plan for Wilkinson. And I, I think that Jada Wyman may well get that uh, that queen sheet, but I don't know if it means anything if McNamara is going to be back for a potential grand final because it changes the way you defend and it changes the sort of player that Wilkinson will be as well. This competition this season has been dominated by Sydney FC so far. Melbourne City still looking in touching distance of the title, but I think that the finals race is just as interesting with Adelaide United occupying that fourth spot. Uh, Newcastle with a game in hand, Perth still in touching distance, Brisbane, Western Sydney still in with a shout. It's only really Canberra and Wellington that you've got a bit of a gap to the bottom of the table there. Are any of those sort of cluster of five teams uh, battling it out for fourth spot, assuming victory doesn't drop off, uh, catch your eye, Teo, or is it just way too hard to predict? I tell you what, if, if Wanderers had actually beaten Victory at the weekend, then then Victory was every chance of this in the four. But as I've speculated in the past, I think they may have too many points in the bank now. Mm. Adelaide are the, the team that's left the most number of points on the table. I mean, they were they were coming back against Melbourne City in the game at Amy Park, and then they conceded in stoppage to lose three one. That could easily have been a draw. I thought they had the better of the first half, as as many as expected them to against Melbourne City at the weekend. And it, Melissa Barbieri, just ageless, making that brilliant save from Fiona Wirtz at the end of the first half. Uh, any other keeper in the league, that's probably a goal. And and who knows, Adelaide probably do go on to, to consolidate and to win if they do score first in that game. So I think they're the team that, that has sort of the most capability of breaking into the top four. 
but it's Adelaide and it always goes wrong for them. And I remember the 2018-19 season, they they blew their spot in the top four and potentially in a very close season, their shot at not just making the top four, but winning the Premier's plate because they lost at home to a Wanderers team that hadn't won a game yet that season. And then they lost to Newcastle in uh, in a situation where Newcastle was already eliminated from the finals. And, and they they absolutely torched their chance to get in. And this is back when they had uh, Gunnar Jonstadt here uh, running the midfield, and I don't know. It, they're so frustrating because the city continuously produces very good players, players that are Matilda's standard, and even though they've never had a winning team, they've always been a, a talent sort of factory. It would just be nice if the fans and if the club could get some reward for very strong service to the game in this country. It was funny. We were speaking to Adrian Stenter after the uh, away loss to Melbourne City uh, in December, and they they conceded a third goal late in that game. It was a mistake playing out from the back, uh, but he he initially was saying, "Oh, I'd rather we went for the the point." Uh, rather than you know settled for a one goal defeat and you know if you're if you're attacking late in the game and you concede who really cares was the point he was about to make and then he caught himself and and thought uh, we did actually miss the finals by yes. one goal last season so you know maybe I shouldn't be saying that you know they just seem cursed with with bad fortune or, or bad luck somehow uh, but with Dylan Holmes coming back into the fold surely they can start stringing some results together eventually. Yeah, and uh, I must admit, I was surprised that they put Emma Stanbury on the bench and brought Manano Sasaki back in. Uh, I flagged that the best way to stifle Rihanna Policina was to, to play the same midfield trio of Condon Holmes and Stanbury mm. as they had done against Canberra the week before. Canberra not having a, a creative midfielder anywhere near as threatening as Rihanna Policina. And then, surprise, who pops up to score the winning goal? Rihanna Policina. So, look, not, not to be overtly critical of Adelaide's approach to the game, I just feel as though the intangibles, and as you say, Josh, the luck, historically it hasn't been there. And and this season at times it hasn't been there. But they do have they do have quality and I do think they have resilience. And that's something that that's a word we haven't used to associate with Adelaide in the past. So I, you know, I, I'm not biased in hoping they make the top four. I think it would just be good for the game on the whole that a team that hasn't made it in 13 previous seasons finally breaks through and get there, gets there. Ah. Josh, sorry. See, Josh, we're out of. Sometimes we get out of the rhythm. I don't. Like, we need to. We need to work on that. But I'm with you, Tayo. I, I think that Adelaide, out of all the other teams that I've seen this season, have been the most competitive, mm. and they've shown that they've got more. Like besides the top three, if we're going to include victory this season, they look like the most consistent team from front to back. And whereas when I look at a side like Brisbane, at times they have goalkeeping lapses and they don't seem to move as smoothly up through the field and they and they look like they rely a little bit a lot a little bit on Katrina Gorry and they get a little bit desperate at times. So I, I think that Adelaide over the cup they oh Words are stuck with me. I don't know what's happened. It's it's broadcasting. It's it hard. is. I'm, I'm stressed, Josh. I'm stressed thinking well, about uh, Riley think, Riley Henry going right. to school. Let, stressing let me, me out. Let me help you out here, Pico. Um, I can value it. Uh, the the other issue is, I'm totally unconvinced by victory. They may have points in the bank. They're probably going to fall into the finals because they still haven't played Wellington or Canberra yet. But I don't think they have a sustainable plan to beat any of the teams that join them in the finals. I don't think they're close to City or Sydney, and I think whoever finishes fourth will fancy their champion, their chances of beating victory, especially because they're improvising with Amy Jackson at centre-back and Leah Privatelli at left-back. And even though they kept a clean sheet at the weekend, 
they're, they're going to have to provide a lot of protection for that defence if they're going to actually go all the way. It's just a, a quirk of the fixture that they probably have enough points in the bank and are favourable enough for to get there, even though I, I don't think they're one of the best four teams in the competition. Yeah. And they lose Chidiak late in the season as well, and she go heads back to yeah. She won't so play finals, so that's going to be another you know issue for them. And I think that so the likes of teams like Perth, who have really improved as of last season, and you know they show that after a year and some you know some real great coaching, you can you know you never know where you can end up. They scream first round finals exit to me. This victory side. I wonder whether they signed the wrong Vali, by the way. <laughs> I reckon they could have used Leia in, uh, as a depth player this season. Well, I mean, keeper issues always rear their heads at the worst possible time for the mm. teams that, that need them the least. And Casey Dumont, yeah, missing the game against Brisbane was a case of that. But you think back to the season that Victory won the Premier's plate and had the home semi-final, but then Casey Dumont got injured in the first half and they had to bring on Beth Mason-Jones and Sam Kerr put a hat-trick pass through in the second half. So it, it's, um, you know, you, you don't really understand how important your keeper depth is until you test it. So, uh, dare I suggest, Josh, Sophia Varley is still a very necessary player for them <laughs> on the run home. Maybe they should have dipped in for both. Uh, Teo, thank oh, you so Josh. much. You, Josh, Teo is a listener of Radio Dub and you forget the most important oh. question. I just like, I feel like sometimes... You were giving me the wrap-up? No, so no, no. I was giving the wrap-up, but I was, we got to set Teo up for the question, of course. And he's a great person to ask this question to. Teo, obviously, we love to know players that people should be looking out for in the dub that for you know just to educate people who is somebody that you know people need to be looking out for in the dub i think adelaide have used amelia murray in a really interesting way this season uh she's kind of subbed on for that player that's supposed to use her speed and, and hit on the counter attack and uh at times that leaves her with maybe only a few touches per half to impress and i i really want to see adelaide you know, they're playing Wellington this week, so maybe if they control possession and territory, this would be a great chance, I hope, to see it for 90 minutes and see what you can contribute to build-up play. Because from a very small sample size, I think that we've, we've seen something really promising there from a player who is only 17. And they've got George Beaumont waiting in reserve, who's kind of the hard luck story of the season in that all of Adelaide's forwards are fit and all of them are playing pretty well. And this is a player from Queensland who's, who's made the move to Adelaide, trying to get some game time and kind of going into state also as a teenager and you always respect the players that take this leap and she can't make the bench at the moment because basically she's got Chelsea Dorber and Fiona Wirtz and, and these informed players in front of her in the pecking order but if they if they ever need her I'd be really interested to see her get a, a longer run at it too so those are the two I'm going to leave you with Amelia Murray and Georgia Beaumont from Adelaide keep an eye out for them well, Taya, we know we're going to hear your voice on the Matildas Thailand game that's coming up, third uh, group stage game in the Asian Cup. Uh, but in the dub, uh, what are you calling this weekend? Uh, yes, you'll hear me Friday on Adelaide versus Wellington, which, again, if Adelaide really are cursed, they'll find a way to drop points. <laughs> so uh, if, if it all goes to script, they should win and win well. But, you know, it's a lot of history to overcome here. And then I've got the big one on Saturday. Very excited that I'll be doing Sydney FC against uh, Melbourne City and also very excited that, uh, you know, the three amazing uh, experts that I've had on air uh, join me this season, Georgie Dale, Amy Chapman, Grace Gill. I think they're all flying at the moment and I think one of the reasons that people are enjoying the dub so much is due to their work too. So uh, everyone, I hope, is uh, that's listening, whether it's live or on the podcast, is looking forward to the weekend because I'm really looking forward to broadcasting the games. 
All right, Taylor, we'll let you get you back to get you get back to your day job of uh, air traffic controller, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. A pleasure, guys. Keep up the good work. Taylor Pellitzeri joining us on Radio Dub. That's all we've got time for this yeah, week. We went a little over, but we had technical difficulties. We had two great guests, so I, I think it all it played out well. Yeah, Briley Henry, uh, go listen to that interview if you uh, didn't get a chance to catch it live. Uh, we've got a big week coming up here on FNR, the return of the green room tomorrow yes. night with station favourite Ryan Scott being the guest. Is he going to wear a Skeggs shirt in the Zoom? I hope so. I hope, I hope so we so. get a different shirt, actually, a different band shirt yeah. to add to the repertoire. Um, and, you know, I'm always always keen to chat Maybe to we'll ask Roaming Ryan. Maybe you guys should ask him for some, some music recommendation. I think he's a man of taste. He is. He's a man of taste and uh, always contributes to uh, <laughs> the Spotify playlist after we chat to him. Uh, and uh, we've also got outside broadcasts coming up. Oh, cool. okay. I didn't know this. I know I'm not allowed to talk about the real AFCON. But I don't want to talk about that. African Nations Cup Melbourne yeah. is happening. Yeah. So there's Does a... have a team? No, I don't think so. I don't think they do. Yeah, you know why? Because we're embarrassing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably a relief to you, to be honest, uh, after how it's gone in, uh, in the real deal. Uh, but AFCON Melbourne, it's uh, got a semi-final uh, stage coming up this Sunday. And on Australia Day, the men's final and the women's final, we're going to try and bring both uh, of those games to you live via the FNR platform. So stay tuned for announcements about that big outside broadcast coming up. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye for now. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Polias. It's an absolute peach. Is driving. What a hit from Melina Rez. Wow. And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick. Minimum.